Welcome to Copcast from Climate Home News. I'm Carl Matheson, editor of Climate Home News and one of the hosts of this podcast. And I'm joined by our senior reporter, Sarah Stefanini. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Carl. So we're in the final throes of two weeks of negotiations here in Katowice, Poland. We're starting to get a picture of how this deal is going to look. And for a meeting that began with pretty low expectations, the deal that's emerging is pretty strong or su- surprisingly strong. Um, but first, uh, I want to thank our supporters, the Stockholm Environment Institute. As reporters in the climate space, we sometimes struggle to get really accurate data and analysis and guys like the Stockholm Environment Institute are really, really helpful and we often go to them when we need uh, accurate and uh, detailed uh, takes on on our stories. So for more information, go to sei.org. So before we talk about what you've been reporting on, Sarah, I spoke to Camilla Bourne, who uh, watches this process about as closely as anyone, to find out what's happening, where on the last night of talks here, and we're kind of playing a waiting game. So um, we'll hear from Camilla first. So I'm here with Camilla Bourne from the think tank E3G. Hi, Camilla. Hello. Thanks for having me here. I'm still awake. Me too, just. Um, So we are here on Friday night. It's supposed to be the last night of the conference, but we don't know if it will be. There's there's a lot of moving parts. And so I'm not going to ask you to tell us what's going to happen over the next few hours. But as we wait, one of the things we have seen is... um, a large and uh, like nearly complete text. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we're getting pretty close. I mean, we've got 144 pages. That's quite a lot. It's a lot more progress than perhaps we had expected to see. Maybe in Bangkok, things were looking pretty shaky at times. So certainly it's a really big step forward. And yeah, it's promising from what we might get. We'll have to see what the quality of that is in the end. But certainly countries have regrouped and doubled down and said, right, let's try and get this done. And when we talk about 144 pages of rules, like what are those rules actually telling us about the Paris Agreement? Like what are they trying to achieve and control? Well, for starters, they're telling us that countries are still committed to the Paris Agreement because we have had this huge announcement that Trump has announced his intention to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. Okay, he hasn't withdrawn yet, but the fact that all countries then turned around and said, we don't care, we're going ahead anyway, we're going to deliver Paris, that sounded nice, but we didn't necessarily know that that was actually going to mean they would start implementing. And these are the Paris implementing guidelines. So the fact that they are agreeing them is a sign of implementation. What they do is they are the operating manual for Paris. So the Paris Agreement, long-term goals, every five years you take stock, how close are we to those long-term goals? Okay, individually as countries and together as an international community, what are we going to do to do more? And they tell us how to go through that process. And you're saying that it's a sort of surprise that we've got this bigger rule book that so many things have been agreed here. What has happened over the last couple of weeks that's made that possible. So I think for starters, 
negotiators who are technical beings um, had their knuckles wrapped a number of times over the last year and I think they did come into this process intent on doubling down and doing more and I think the optics of the G20 were really important here we had that G19 signal we're all leaning into this this is still really important for us we want to see more happening so that was a good bounce for the beginning you also had the former presidencies leaning in and saying come on we've worked so hard let's do this and you had the secretary general saying we've got a summit coming up you better get down and get to business because we don't want this dragging into our summit our summit is about talking about countries doing more in their climate action domestically and announcing that at leaders level we don't get many chances to have leaders in the spotlight you don't want to be talking about rules with leaders it's too technical so i think that has really kind of upped the momentum and really got people to focus and now just over the next 12 hours or something we've got a big uh set of rules agreed but there are some sticking points is that right yeah there's a few sticking points so one of the sticking points is around markets and if they have double counting so there's lots of rumblings about that we'll see how much that that comes to pass there might be a postponement if that's needed but that could be the most constructive thing to do at this point so we'll see Another area is on the ambition signal. Coming into this, we didn't necessarily think we would get that clear signal on ambition. It wasn't a deadline. They didn't have to do it. But the pressure of the 1.5 report, the pressure of countries knowing that they need to do more and that their citizens were continuing to demand it has really put the pressure on. And now we're seeing that clearer signal. So there's some qualifications around that. I think the blow up around the 1.5 report and not welcoming it with Saudi and the US and Russia and Kuwait also helped to sort of push things and get people to focus minds and hearts to some extent and say right what are we going to do about this so there's some clarifications around that and then another area is the global stock take so the global stock take is at the heart of the ambition mechanism and some of it at the moment is looking a bit shaky you see countries coming forward and saying this is what we're doing on mitigation this is what we're doing on adaptation this is what we're doing on finance but you're not talking about loss and damage for one which isn't acceptable to the vulnerable countries and you're also not assessing against those long-term goals and that means that you're not cranking up ambition each time you're just saying what you're doing so that doesn't have the same dynamism that we'd want to see and there's some sticking points around that as well i'm sure there's a few others but those are the three i'll give you for now people always or i'm sure that people that aren't here and aren't involved in this process are wondering if you've got most of it done after two weeks why are you still here and why are people talking about us like going on until late into saturday and maybe saturday night so why is this process just take going to take so long to kind of close itself out it's really complicated so it's technically really complicated and we have seen a lot of that work through but it's also politically complicated a former colleague of mine once said to me when i was coming to the un climate talks remember that's 196 countries trying to realign their economies to go low carbon and resilient and it's true it's hard there's a lot of national interest at play there and it's not an easy conversation but i do think we're in a good place we're not going to agree what's necessary for the planet but we are going to agree what's possible in these politics and it's gone that step further than perhaps we could have seen before we came into these negotiations okay and thanks to camilla for um being on the podcast sarah you've been at a press event tonight uh what was going on over there yeah, so it was another um, high ambition coalition event. Um, they This group kind of emerged at the COP21 in Paris in 2015. And basically, it's a 
cross, it's sort of a, a coalition of developed and developing countries, tends to be very poor countries, and then the EU, Canada, and those groups. Um, but they, they don't really focus on the gritty details of the text, but they tend to come together and call for higher ambition. And so they had a very crowded um, press conference where they said that they want this outcome in Katowice to really kind of set the scene for the world to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. And after that, I spoke to Carlos Manuel Rodriguez, who's the environment minister from Costa Rica. Okay, so what happens now? You've got sort of the ambitious discussion, but you've got still rules to work out. There's sort of discussions about whether transparency is still bifurcated or comes into 2024. What do your next few hours look like? Well, the next few hours are going to be, as always, on the last day of the COP, are very tense. I, I think that we have a groundswell movement towards a acceptable decision. And regardless of what the very specific, very technical aspects were pending uh, discussions, I, I'm quite optimistic that uh, we'll be able to achieve what we want in, in the context of, you know, keep the role in increasing the decisions around the Paris Agreement, uh, being able to, to work on this uh, rule book, and most importantly, that everybody understands that the 1.5 is our ultimate goal. And then I sat down for a few minutes with David Paul, the environment minister from the Marshall Islands. Um, and I mean, the Marshall Islands is one of the sort of small island voices that is really strong in these talks. Um, they say that they're the first victims of climate change because they're low-lying islands that are already sinking and already dealing with tropical storms and things. And so I asked him uh, what he hopes to see out of this COP. How many hours of sleep have you had since you've arrived? Well, hours of sleep is one thing. The jet lag is the other. So if you combine the two, you know, it gives you what? Not enough sleep, right? Uh, but I'm not complaining. You know, we're not complaining. We're, we're here to fight for the survival of our country and our people. So. so walk us through the process now. What happens in this final push? I think the brackets are just for technical people. We're here as leaders to make the deal. Right, so I don't know what bracket is. I never it doesn't exist in my vocabulary. You know, I don't know what, who invented bracket. Why bracket? You know, I mean, to me, the science is very clear. The 1.5 degrees uh, IPCC special report is very absolutely clear. So there shouldn't be any debate around how we approach this, this study, this report. We need to make sure that the work of the um, the UNFCCC going forward has to be part is central to the IPCC report. So, I mean, the, the high ambition coalition is, is an high ambition coalition for a reason, is to raise ambition. Because the IPCC special report is telling us that we only have 12 years up window of opportunity to reverse the trend. And that 12 years is 12 years. It's not 20 years, it's not 50 years, it's 12 years. So we got to work within that. Did you find it, do you find it demoralizing when you hear other countries talk? I mean, like Saudi Arabia's response in an interview was that the IPCC report actually create, talks about economic costs for emerging economies and developing countries and sort of trying to push it back because it's an economic cost for them. How do you see that? Well, I mean, I, nitpicking the, the, uh, 
the report as it is, I think I don't think is is constructive because you know you have to look at the report in totality, right? So all of these, and this is a collective of scientists coming together to form their opinion. So they are scientists for reasons. They are the expert in the field. So who am I as a as a politician to try to discredit or trying to poke a hole and trying to drive a wedge into the whole study? Because the whole study got to look at it in totality. So, I mean, it's all, it's all about excuses. Another contentious issue here is sort of the, the finance and the rules that will apply to developed countries and how they, what, what they plan to provide in aid, what they have. What kind of reassurances do you want from developed countries, especially when you're partnering now in the High Ambition Coalition? What are you looking for from developed countries? I mean, it's a partnership, right? I mean, we, we, we didn't create this mess, but at the same time, we, all, we are all on the same boat, right? We need to make sure that we we do our part, they do their part. So uh, we have to come up with uh, certain guidelines that are not prohibitive, that uh, becomes uh, very difficult for us to be able to operational or mobilize finances, right? Because what's the difference between having so much money and not able to access them and not, not, not having fun at all? There's no difference, right? So I think we need to find a medium or medium ground where everybody will say, okay, okay, these are your requirements, this is what we can do, this is our capacity, and, and we cannot make it punitive. So, so those are the things that we need to rise above them. And as leaders, we, need, we are the one, we are supposed to be the one, you know, solving these problems. Do you expect tonight to go late then? Anything is possible, you know, we, you know the, we're, in, we're, in, we're in a cop, right? There's some really interesting comments from uh, Costa Rica and the Marshall Islands there, Sarah. What do you think the kind of broad message and theme we should be taking out of that in the final day of these talks? Um, I mean, after two very difficult weeks and, you know, last Saturday um, there was quite a tense moment when the U.S., Saudi Arabia, Russia and Kuwait um, tried to water down the language on science on 1.5 degrees. I, I think that these two ministers are still putting out very optimistic faces. They're talking very kind of hopefully rather than downbeat. Um, but I also think that the way they talk about the importance of meeting this 1.5 degree goal, it just shows the urgency and the fact that people see this rule book as kind of the, the last stepping stone to getting there because the Paris Agreement was great. But now if the rule book is strong, then from in the next few years, countries will just have to slowly raise their targets, do more, report on what they're doing, shore up financial aid and all of that. And so it really shows that even though this is so technical and they didn't get into the details of it, they see it as kind of a last grasp. Well, I guess we'll see how it turns out. Climate Homes team is here in Katowice and we're going to be watching the every move of the last bit of these talks and we're going to be uh, potentially staying up all night and there is a live blog running which you can jump on on our website and we're going to keep that going until it it's all wrapped up here. That could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, we just don't know. Um, so stay with us. And that's it for Copcast. I'm Carl Matheson. Thanks to Sarah Stefanini, our supporters, the Stockholm Environment Institute, and our producer, Soila Aparizio. 
Don't forget to follow us on SoundCloud and on iTunes and all good podcast apps. Climate Home News is on Twitter and Facebook. And you can subscribe to our newsletter by going to www.climatechangenews.com. We will see you tomorrow.